Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. It's the uh, day of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We're sorry that we're bringing this one to you a little bit later than normal, just a few scheduling issues, but it means we can talk directly about the race itself uh, today because it's a few hours away. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix, chaotic race it was last year. We're expecting similar chaos again this year. I'm Juad, joined by Baden as always. And yeah, so uh, round four of the championship, it was a wacky race last year. Uh, it's all set for another wacky race, hopefully this afternoon or this evening. Uh, a lot of wind expected, which has caused havoc during qualifying and whatnot and cooler temperatures. And even a bit of rain, they're saying, is around in the air too. It's uh, definitely that time shift a couple of months earlier seems to have made all the, the difference and the, the proof will be in the race itself, whether some of those cars are aerodynamically, the, the efficiency they can cut through that air. But as it is, we've seen already some, uh, as I guess we've seen the first couple of seasons here, a lot of cars having some misadventures, making full use of those runoffs. So uh, it definitely is one of those circuits that's quite unforgiving and they'll be found out pretty quickly come the race if uh, the, the variables have any say. Yeah, quite a lengthy circuit and unforgiving, as you say, as well. And last year, I guess you could say the race still vivid, a lot of epic overtaking because this circuit actually encourages overtaking on that long back straight. But then also there was championship ramifications too, if you remember... Um, with Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton coming together. A uh, bit of fisticuffs there between the two, and that was talked about after the race for quite the, some time. You could argue that was almost the turning point. As far as the ultimate season, it took a while for Hamilton to rest that lead back, but that was the point where it seemed as though he gained the oft-quoted psychological advantage. Yeah, well, that's where the chinks in the Ferrari armour actually started to show, and then eventually we know what uh, became of that. But... Um, in the end, that race was won by Daniel Ricciardo. Well, more like robbed again. He calls himself the race robber these days. Robin and um, Hood. Robin Hood, yes, yeah, stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, not that Red Bull uh, <laughs> poor or anything. Yeah, the ultimate paradox, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, giving to, I guess, his own account of wins, you know, which is pretty poor considering how talented a driver he is anyway. Um, could he go back to back this year? That's the question. He's the uh, reigning race winner, of course, from last uh, time out in China too. Um, Red Bull did indicate pre-race that they're going to struggle on the straights, but what we're seeing through practice and then certainly qualifying where, you know, they're starting starting fourth and fifth, um, led by Daniel Ricciardo, is that they are definitely in this race um, with the Ferraris and the Mercedes guys. Uh, it's going to be a three-way battle once again. So, you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see if Ricciardo can get the jump again. Yeah, for Red Bull, I guess it's all around. They've got one car first across the line, but it hasn't been both for reasons which are quite uh, obvious. We've seen Max Verstappen every race. He's had some sort of little catastrophe there, and even on Friday, another one, but that was probably the best time to, to have that setback, and he's bounced back well, fourth and fifth for both of those cars, and who knows with Mercedes, they look like they've just been a little bit uh, adrift. They got it together, obviously, for second and third, which was a good effort, all things considered. So if Red Bull finally get a good weekend, they, they'll be quietly hoping for a double podium, and who knows if they can capitalise even another victory. Yeah, that's probably the question on everyone's minds, is can Red Bull get up there? But going back to Mercedes, as you say, second and third, Lewis Hamilton starting on the front row alongside Sebastian Vettel. Um, Lewis, a lot of talk about him over the week, the fact that, yeah, he's uh, started this season winless, as has Mercedes too. They haven't won a race, of course, and... Um, 
coming to Baku, it's a circuit that Hamilton struggled at ever since we came here first for the first time since in 2016. Um, he's not been on the podium, let alone won a race. You could argue last year is a bit harshly done by. Last year, harshly done by, but that just, you know, talk about the luck that he's had here. It's not been great. And for him to try and break his winless drought at this circuit, you know, considering the luck he's had previously, it's looking a bit unlikely, but we you know, he's starting from second. It's a good place to start. And if he can get up there into turn one, there is a chance. And uh, important to point out, too, that he's on a 28-race point scoring streak, too, since 2016 in Japan. We remember in Malaysia, that was the last time he retired or didn't even score a point. So he's got that run of consistency behind him. And that's the record now in Formula One for longest amount of races with uh, points scored. So um, Mercedes have been strong here in the past. So Nico Rosberg won here in 2016. Valtteri Bottas on the podium last year. So is it time for Hamilton to establish a bit of himself here at Baku? Oh, there's no time like the present as far as the the campaign goes. It's uh, really quite ironic that the, this talk that he feels... Uh, well, not doesn't feel, but the perception is that he's adrift since he's not having the success of previous seasons, yet only nine points behind Vettel. So a victory here, and he could find himself atop a the standings. But as far as that momentum goes, he's such a such a driver who is, um, I guess, um, really the getting the victory there. It's all the confidence that he needs, and then suddenly he's a completely different character. So it will be very interesting to see if he can pull something out of the bag and again you feel if Ferrari gets the job done here then uh, really a lot of questions will be asked about what he's got for the rest of the season. Exactly and Ferrari actually yet to win a race in Baku. Um, Vettel was on the podium in 2016 and then we all know what happened last year with him. Uh, Verstappen, you touched on him before under the spotlight still for his antics in China. Will he have learned his lesson and we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago when he said uh giving away the race win and watching his teammate go on to win that race, surely that would have meant that something clicked in him. It's not like he's going to change his style because it's the style that everyone or most people actually enjoy watching. But the fact that he needs to polish it a bit, hone on, in onto it, and you know he could be a very lethal um, racer, as in not taking people out but uh you know getting the job done like we see his teammate do as far as overtakes i think we've already seen uh, as far as um the first few races that's very much the the pattern that the the other half is maybe a bit shinier and based on last season improvements being made so you think if that's an indication then uh, lessons are being learned over time yeah so it'll this race will be a key indicator to see what uh, where Verstappen's at um, especially because of the crazy nature of it can he control himself that's going to be the interesting thing um, what's going to be important too is will we see the race bring the back markers forward you know we expect a lot of safety cars of course and stuff like that so can we see um, back markers come forward Lance Stroll last year was on the podium a surprise podium for Williams the only one and only highlight in his career to date um, even though Williams were in a better place last year uh, could we see points on offer for the likes of Sauber, Torosso, Williams this year because they are f- so far back from the midfield I don't know about the um 
the first and the third. Their Toro Rosso might be a bit absent on their space expedition after what happened in qualifying there. We saw some very interesting antics between Brendan Hartley and Pierre Yeah, Gasly. a bit of uh, problems that Hartley encountered and then uh, Gasly just coming out of nowhere and getting caught in there. So I think uh, they do show the pace, though, on a serious note, Toro Rosso, and probably Gasly was on track for a... Q2 run there, but that obviously sabotaged that bid. So uh, if they get a good strategy, again, seen like with a Red Bull, they're dynamite when they've got the right tyres on uh, exploiting what is almost a, an inevitable safety car in this instance. So out of those three, they've got to be the legitimate candidates. And Sauber, you know, we saw um, Charles Leclerc, wasn't it? Was he 13th, 14th? Yeah, so, so he'll probably get elevated uh, with the Nico Hulkenberg grid penalty too. And uh, Williams, they're starting just outside the, well, inside the top 10 with 10th and 11th because of Nico Hulkenberg's five-place grid penalty. So uh, Lance Stroll leading his teammate there, Sergei Sorotkin. But Force India's both in the top 10 too um, for the first time this season. And, uh, you know, I guess the big question mark is whether they're going to come to blows as we've seen both Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon uh, have in the past. Well, and this time last year. This time last year. Double podium went begging. Double podium went begging. Perez was on the podium here a couple of years ago, so he knows how to, to go well around here. But, you know... They're going to have big points on offer, but they've just got to not stuff it up like they did uh, like this time last year. I think I know what's at stake. Uh, certainly that talk off track that they're quite delicately poised with the, the finances, so every point is gold, especially when you see Sauber's already racked up a few points there, and I guess Toro Rosso got that healthy bag courtesy of Gasly at Bahrain, so they'll be looking if they can scratch maybe, you know, an eighth and a ninth or a little bit higher, that's going to be really something to, to build on. And if they can get the, the funds coming through the door, they might come online a bit more as the season heads back to Europe. Yeah, so that's going to be quite crucial and point out again that Williams are the only team that haven't scored a point yet in 2018. So, you know, could they get themselves on the board um, or not? It's truly going to be an unpredictable race, hard to put a, a finger on who's going to win this one but a safe bet you'd have to say Sebastian Vettel from pole position if all goes well but you know it could be anyone at this rate. Yeah I think uh, for the sake of variety it's always good to see somebody different up there and um, one guy who, who's been really quite mercurial and probably almost a battering ram to date is Valtteri Bottas and you could argue very unlucky at at China, and he had, the, of course, now those back-to-back um, -back second places. So it's one where he, if, if he can get off the line well and uh, show um, Hamilton that um, he really is um, lifting his game this year, then I think he'll be someone to really talk about legitimately. Yeah, well, you know, we've talked about him as being a better defensive driver than he is uh, on the attack. So if he gets ahead, you know, and he's on the right strategy, um, he could you know, very well uh, win the race and yeah, perhaps... Last year how well he did that, that final... Uh, yeah, against Lance Stroll. A final straight pass on him. Yeah, on Lance Stroll to pinch second last year. So Bottas, him, perhaps his clean style might be better suited to a circuit like this where, you know, making less mistakes will be more rewarding. And so they talk about the way the circuit's got a lot of bumps and abrasions. It tends to suit those uh, Scandinavian Nordic drivers more so than the rest. <laughs> Don't know about... The rally cross style. Oh, 
well, yeah, the rally cross star on the wind, I guess, is going to be a big factor too. So just try not to get blown off track, I guess, uh, that way. So yeah, truly an exciting race to to look forward to, and yeah, we won't be too far off uh, wrapping it all up. Um, come a few days time. So let's go straight into the digest then for this week or the past week. Let's say it. A lot to do with Williams. We have to say and. Williams released a uh, a bit of data regarding their revenue from last year as well. Um, they almost had uh, nine million pounds up from two thousand sixteen, um, and this is all said despite the fact where they are this season now they've had that influx of cash they've got two pay drivers on board um sergey sorotkin of course with his backing from smp racing um and of course lance stroll we know the connection that he has so why then are you know they struggling and this could lead into the second thing we're going to talk about is that Felipe Massa, the ex-driver for Williams, uh, has come out and said that Williams are paying the price for putting money first and not putting an experienced driver in the car to be able to to fine-tune and develop this car. So you've got Lance Stroll, who's in his sophomore season, um, I guess not really having much of an impact last year, the podium in Baku perhaps, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. But then Sergei Sorotkin, uh, out of, straight out of F2, you know, the lack of experience there, not really helping them this year. And that's what Felipe Massa says, that, you know, putting money first has uh, hurt them. Well, for sure. If they had me in the car, we would be maybe six or seven. But they not, they got rid of me and they do what they do. We're going to say on an honest note, Crimea River for Williams. We talked about this coming into the season and they had Robert Kubitz. So there you could argue he would make little difference if the car's that woeful. But just as far as having that... Central driver, someone yeah, so right. revered, you know that he'd be able to, to build something that they can work with. And at the point they are now, listless, rudderless, whatever you want to describe it as. Yeah, well, you'd have a good reference. That's, you know, that's what Massa was last year. But then Stroll in his hubris, I guess, was <laughs> saying that, you know, oh, Massa wasn't much of a reference for me in the first place. So, you know, uh, I guess it's with such vitriol guys like strolls coming out and saying and even recently when massa made these comments stroll said that that's absolute bollocks you know and it's like well it is true when you look at it on paper you guys uh, haven't really progressed with the car and i guess they unlocked a little bit this weekend with those uh, engine modes coming towards them with the mercedes courtesy of mercedes, courtesy of mercedes. so Williams on their side, they haven't really made any progress. And, you know, of course, they said after qualifying, oh, um, don't ex- this is not us turning a corner, but, you know, just help by that engine mode. So it's like, all right, when are you going to turn a corner if you're going to do it this season? So I guess in the situation that they are, because they can't do anything about it, there's going to be a war of words. But, you know, I think people have got to put their hands up and say, all right, we made the mistake. And someone like Stroll, who doesn't really have a lot of credentials behind him just yet, for him to come out and say, oh, Massa was no reference for me, it's kind of just like, all right, kid, we know what you're here for sort of thing. So, yeah, really hard to take what they say a bit seriously. But it is a shame for a team like Williams with so much prestige and history behind them. I'll say a lot if uh, this situation remains for the balance of the season and they've got that uh, real uh, decision to make between continuing with the 
the funded drivers or taking on a Robert Kubitzer if he's still interested in the seat, uh, much less uh, what the competitive prospects will be. And they again uh, refuse his services. That'll be a point where a lot of people might just decide, oh, well, they've sunk their own ship and there's not much else we can do. Yeah, well, it, with it depends, you know, what their future is going to look like. They're going to have to sort that out before they can, um, you know, make decisions on the driver front because, yeah, it just looks like, yeah, sure, they've got this, uh, this revenue coming in now and it's up from what they were a couple of years ago but the fact is it's it, it, it amounts to nothing if you're not going to be able to make something out of it like let's use the classic Toyota example f- um, from when they came into F1 had a lot of money behind them but didn't know what to do with it sort of thing so that's I guess going to be the key thing for Williams going into the future moving it on though um, FIA to present a new pit stop solution to the teams I guess we've had a lot of unsafe releases this year more so than normal so they're I guess the classic reactionary thing to do is right let's try and investigate what we can do to make pit stop safer so there has been discussion about I guess limiting the amount of uh, engineers or pit crew that they have on site you know we look at other categories where they have only two people doing it for example so um <laughs> do we really need to do it or is it just teams getting a bit too eager in true f1 fashion they'll slap something on haphazardly and it will be even more disastrous like the again referring back to whatever that qualifying system was they used for Melbourne a few years yeah. ago that no one will ever speak of again. But we come to pit lane. Imagine when we have two car, two uh, personnel servicing a car. It'll be back to what it was in the formative days of pit stops. It'll be 30 seconds, almost like a supercar's pit stop, that kind of time, yeah. 30 seconds. So uh, that's got to be a bit comical. You can just see they're pushing the edge. It's come down such a... A fine line in the uh, the post refueling era, down from you know five or four seconds now to almost sub twos for the very best of them, and uh, it's just at a point where I guess bottoming out. But they can only be so perfect, and they they can't go and just say, oh well, we've had this uh, non-recurring incident like Ferrari had at Bahrain, so oh, we've got to go and put some five second window on or whatever it is to yeah. slow it down. Exactly. So it's just. You know, they can easily just refine the current product that they have and, um, you know, more training, I guess, for the mechanics and whatnot as well. So it's a pretty, it's not an easy job at all. Got to be pretty fit to, to do it, you know, especially with those tyres weighing the amount that they do. So uh, no need to change it, I guess, uh, unless, you know, it continuously uh, creates danger and whatnot and we get people more, more people seriously injured Um as we did with that uh, Ferrari mechanic in Bahrain, I guess, you know, you could call it just a one-off, but, you know, as these things happen, they always have to investigate and whatnot, so moving it on anyway, and uh, there's some news out of McLaren too earlier in the week about a technical reshuffle in-house with uh, Tim Goss, the long-time technical director, um, being shown the door, and I guess this is all amidst a disappointing start to 2018 where there was, let's say, not, a lot of promise but there was some promise that they would be a bit higher up than they were now that they've got Red Bull as a reference to use with their Renault power units all those claims about we've got the best chassis or the second best chassis yet that hasn't come to fruition so now it's time for heads with no more Honda to blame I guess the heads are going to start to roll in-house when uh, things are not going to go the right way and probably this is for the best thing too. It's just deliciously poetic to think that everyone really came into this 
season thinking, oh, well, whack a, a Renault in there and they're suddenly going to be uh, propelled to, you know, best of the rest behind Mercedes and Ferrari. And they're right about where people who are being realistic would have had them to be fourth in the constructors and Fernando Alonso again working his magic. It's by no means farcical, but... McLaren, I guess, in the, the terms of what its own expectations are, they want to be back to that level where they were in the pre-Honda days and they're, they're still a fair way adrift. And we've seen Red Bull, they're legitimately now a title contender, you could say much less just nibbling away for maybe the, the minor placings. So uh, for McLaren, they've realised that... Uh, that notion that their chassis over the past three seasons perhaps was rivaling a, a Mercedes uh, for all of its dominance. Uh, it's not quite the case. And those at the the forefront, like a Tim Goss, they're, they're the ones who have got to walk the plank. And I guess it won't be far away. And then the rest, like dare we say, Peter Prodromo will also be under the gun if it doesn't get its act together with the, the talk at Barcelona of a major upgrade coming. Mm. And that's the one that's really going to have to find them maybe half a second. Well, yeah, we can understand when they have issues at the start of the season and pre-season, obviously, with a new engine coming in and trying to get the packaging and all that right. But when you're a few races in, then you've got to be able to fine-tune and as you say Barcelona will be the real telling point when they get that upgrades package and just reading comments online and whatnot as well from fans and you know talking about perhaps you know it's Eric Bullier the from management level that things need to change and whatnot so um, this is going to be a really trying season I guess and uh, Fernando Alonso as you say doing the best he can even talk of him potentially uh, leaving at the end of the season with things not being up to his satisfaction despite, you know, I guess lobbying for that engine change um, from Honda to Renault. So it'll be a long season ahead if things don't start going their way. So quickly moving it on to um, MotoGP last weekend, Mark Marquez made it sixth, uh, his sixth consecutive win in Austin. So still the mayor of Austin there from Vinales and Iannone. It was a great race. He started with a penalty and still came back to win. So it just goes to show you how amazing the kid is at that track. And then Jensen Button being confirmed uh, for the WEC Super Season, which was good to hear too. So um, he'll be joining SMP Racing in um, LMP1 from the 24 Hours of Le Mans onwards. So he won't be doing Spa next weekend. Um, and he'll be teammates with... Uh, uh, ex-IndyCar racer Mikhail Alation and um, Vitaly Petrov, the ex-F1 driver. So another F1 world champion on the grid for WEC and for Le Mans. Yeah, teaming up with the Russians there, so it'll be an interesting combination. But you can see it's just a great asset for WEC alongside Alonso and the way the season spread just um, really does open it up to any other candidates that might be having a look they'll all be quite eager to see how Alonso fares in coming days uh he's got what is it nine active weekends out of the next 11 I believe encompassing uh, between the uh, Belgium and Le Mans and what six or seven F1 races mm. as well so that'll be uh, quite a, a telling period to see where he emerges from it and for Jensen Button he's been doing the uh, Super GT so he's been keeping active so he shouldn't be too scratchy but uh, at the same time be realistic for his expectations probably not going to be at the point in that machinery to to take on say a toyota for alonso yeah well especially in those six hour races but come le mans when you know 24 hours a lot of reliability problems you know if toyota's uh, so-called reliability um trends continue then we might as well see one of those privateer lmp guys 
uh, fighting at the sharp end for the win at Le Mans. So we look forward to that. And uh, yeah, as you say, in the coming days, actually next week, we'll have the six hours of Spa and Alonso's first uh, WEC race as well, which will be so exciting. We'll preview that for you then. But um, yeah, let's uh, talk about supercars. Last weekend, they were at Phillip Island. Some key talking points to take away from the weekend um, after their fourth round of the championship. And Scott McLaughlin, king of the island, you could say, he cleansed, clean swept the weekend. He's had eight wins there in total now in his short career. So out of 18 wins that he's had in his career, eight of them have come at Phillip Island. I think he's had about six pole positions in a row there as well. And now he's got the title lead too. So great weekend for him. And a lot of people riding off... Uh, Shelby Power Racing, Dick Johnson, Team Penske, because they've got outdated machinery. But McLaughlin, he just came back and uh, proved the doubters wrong. No, oh, the outlook's so much brighter, particularly for Ford across the coming 12 months. They've just got that launching pad of, I guess, uh, working towards Mustang, but sending off the Falcon on a positive note and throw everything towards just the, the upgrade circuit dependency. Of course, we saw the first three events. It was very much playing towards... Holden in its composite panels on that uh, new machinery, which has certainly been quite polarising, but the, the parity seems to be coming back into the equation. And uh, for Ford, it was a, a great weekend, and for Nissan, a really timely boost for both uh, Rick Kelly and even Michael Caruso right up there. So that'll, who knows whether it will sway its own call for Nissan on the its own long-term future. Well, yeah, so double podium uh, for Rick Kelly on the weekend and for Nissan too. So And it was his uh, milestone weekend as well because it was his 500th race, race on Saturday. So getting two podiums out of the weekend was great. And you said Caruso was up there too, which was good to see. So, you know, yeah, whether that'll influence Nissan's decision for the future will remains to be seen. It's good actually to see Kelly on Sunday a little disappointed with finishing on the podium because he thought that they had the potential to win the race. But then I think just they were outplayed by strategy through the strategy by the DGR team Penske guys and of course Erebus Motorsport as well who were up there with David Reynolds and um, going on to the next point you know Reynolds was the leading Holden you could say for the whole weekend you know he finished second on Sunday and then had that battle with Scott McLaughlin in which uh, the Kiwi won so you know Reynolds very much that dark horse in this championship he's stringing together consistent results even if he's not on the podium all the time but He's had the best start to a season in his career and sitting P2 in the championship as well. You know, if he keeps edging away, get a podium every race or every weekend or, you know, get a, at least a win every two rounds, you know, he could be up there come the end of the year. And especially you have a, if he has a solid enduro campaign like he did last year too, we know that he's going to be paired with Luke Yulden again. So, you know, David Reynolds, if you want to put money on someone for this championship, you could go for Reynolds as an outsider. No coincidence that Erebus uh, are now uh, up there every week and almost uh, behind the Triple Eights. And you see they're off the pace. They're the next in the queue. And I think really ever since that Bathurst victory, they've been galvanised and they look like they really belong at the front there. Davey Reynolds starting to show some resilience as well after that criticism he, he copped from, from Adelaide. And he was a lot more on it, even though he lost out ultimately to McLaughlin on the... Sunday race at Phillip Island, he really um, dug his heels in, and, and as well, it's worth noting 
and Antoine de Pasquale, he really, um, I guess Reynolds took a leaf out of his book earlier in the weekend and he's showing that he's rapidly getting up to scratch and maybe the results weren't befitting of the kind of uh, drive that he put in and it could be sooner than later that he's also going to be a top 10 runner. Yeah, well, they're saying that, you know, Anton's going to really have an influence on the way the championship goes for Reynolds too as far as developing that number nine car and it was great to see him, uh, a young de Pasquale, in the top 10 on both races, I believe. So, um, yeah, we could see both cars up there soon. And De Pasquale, if you guys remember uh, following his early career, he went off to Europe a few years ago to do single-seaters and try to get into F1. And unfortunately, that didn't pan out. They didn't have the budget to do it. He came back to Australia and went straight to, to touring car racing. And, yeah, now he's in his first season with the supercars. So, you know, hopefully he makes a, a good career out of it here in Australia in supercar racing. And, yeah, he's in his rookie season, he's off to a pretty good start. And having Reynolds as that benchmark, of course, now we talk about Williams would not having good references and benchmarks and whatnot. He's got a good benchmark in Reynolds and a good reference point, and it's really helping De Pasquale. And in, in turn, De Pasquale's... Uh, data and references are helping Reynolds too in his title bid. Well, good to see De Pasquale. He's uh, not one of those guys making up the numbers, which supercars from time to time gets those who are purely there for the finances, just like Formula One. And then for David Reynolds, like I, I don't think he's going to fly the coop. Uh, he's certainly looking quite loyal to Erebus, but he's fast putting himself on the map as a contender who knows for say a Penske berth or a Triple Eight berth maybe in a year or so when uh, Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes decide to scale back their commitments so Mm. he's certainly put himself to the front of that queue as hottest property. Yeah well you know the more he does the better and it was unfortunate the way he was uh, dismissed from Tickford a couple of years ago but you know he's found a home at Erebus and he's building this team around him to take him to you know what is uh, supposed to be the top of the sport and that'll be great to see if they do that but speaking of Tickford his former team um, they're still a way off and it's just you know when DGR team Penske come out and have a great weekend like they did clean sweeping uh, both races to see a four car team with four cars four really great drivers as well just nowhere near the front it's just really you know you got to ask the questions and Chas Mostert again the leading light for the team he finished fifth and eighth in both the races Mark Winterbottom it was 200 it was his 200th round over that weekend as well and he I think got one top 10 and then finished outside the top 10 for the other race um there were struggles for Cam Waters Richie Stanaway coming to blows with Simone Di Silvestro as well so you know you got to say, are they just hoping that, you know, they're just struggling with the tyres, I guess, uh, the 2016 compound tyres that they're using on these cars. And you got to wonder whether they're just hoping to hold out for next year where they get a brand new car, new development, and uh, go from there. At this point, it's hard to see them buying into the championship picture. And it again asks the question of a Mark Winterbottom. Perhaps he's reaching that point where his best days are behind him, just as maybe a... Craig Lowndes has had the question put to him in the past couple of seasons so next year really will be crucial for for Winterbottom there uh, with the new machinery he can really show that he he still has what it takes because Chas Mostert's already established himself in the past 12 to 18 months since he's re-found that confidence post Bathurst 2015 with that crash he's going to be the future of the the outfit moving into the Mustang era well if uh, Chaz decides to stay there as well a bit of chatter around that he could potentially be 
taken up by DGR Team Penske in the future well, as well. Well, he did make so his debut there. With, with Dick Johnson in 2013. So, and Winterbottom, of course, is off contract too at the end of the year. So, whether he decides to be retained by Tickford, of course, or do they decide to go for a new driver? So, a lot of silly season uh, discussion to be had, I guess, later in the season for supercars Hard too. To with we're only about a third of the way in. Yeah, exactly. So, um, to see what the grid will look like for next year, it'll be quite intriguing. And quickly, just to wrap it up, then Jamie Wincup, costly weekend, and you already mentioned it that you know, Triple Eight were, I guess, second best to Erebus over the weekend as far as the best Holden team is concerned. And I guess just finger troubles for Wincup, a penalty on Saturday for having the pit limiter off. Uh, as he was coming out of pit lane before he reached the designated cone, and he was penalised heavily for that a drive-through penalty, which was applied in as a 38-second time penalty post-race, and then just in general not having any pace at all. And uh, both all three cars were just way back. We saw Shane Van Gisbergen and Craig Lowndes having a bit of a tussle in the bottom part of the top ten on the Saturday race. But oh, no, I no, guess they were top five Saturday. They were top five. Okay. Was, but Sunday they were well adrift, weren't they? Yeah, Sunday they were well adrift. But then when they had their little tussle as well together and Craig's like, I'll let him pass. You know, I was going to let him pass. So tell him to stop trying to drill me here. Yeah, you could see a little bit of friction there. And hopefully with Craig Lowndes looks a lot more as though he's rediscovered that mojo this season after that combination with the... Irish McGregor, his engineer, following Ludo Lacroix's departure. So it's good to see that he's he's looking like he's competitive as ever and clearly still wants to, to show after, especially that victory at Tasmania, that he still has hopes to be more than just the, the third wheel, essentially, inside <laughs> that garage. Exactly. Well, yeah, you know, he's back up there. He's got that mojo again. So surely we'll see more of Craig Lowndes as the season goes on. And enduro time, as you always say, that could be a, a good time of the year for him as well. Yeah, he's, he's the master when it comes around to that sand down Bathurst and Gold Coast, but hopefully a little bit more, and he's still within, I guess, reaching distance. Well, he's sitting third or fourth in the championship at the moment, so yeah, it's a quite, <laughs> quite encouraging an to see table when you look at it. There's a lot of guys there who, who maybe haven't been top three every race, but they've been consistent. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll conclude then the podcast um, with our sporting moments of the week, and uh, it's hard to go past. Uh, the tradition that is Anzac Day footy across, you know, both the uh, Aussie rules and also rugby league as well. And I'm guessing, you know, you'll be still pretty uh, buoyed by the victory on Wednesday for Collingwood over Essendon. Essendon a bit hapless, you could say, uh, inconsistent. Uh, they just looked rudderless. They looked like Williams in football in football trim, you well, could say. Well, as Mark Robinson referred to them as crabs on the, the <laughs> crabs, Wednesday yeah. evening. Crabs, uh, scuttling, scuttling around, you know, like crabs. And uh, uh, Brendan Goddard was hilarious to see him just have a verbal spray captain at his team. Goddard, you know, even it. though he's not even the captain of the team, it was just for one year when all the good players were banned. So He hasn't realised that was only because the better players were uh, kind of <laughs> unable to... Yeah, exactly. So it was just he like he's the, last, he's the last man standing to be to be the captain but yeah no well played by Collingwood uh, that day and um, you know not a lot of hope I guess for the season at large but they're showing improvement which you'll be really pleased with yeah small steps uh, always the uh, the drawing board Collingwood as far as any kind of uh, criticism they're the first to come under fire and amusingly whenever they find form it seems 
fairly quiet, so it's probably not a bad position to be in. And then, well, you just want to be quietly achieving. That's the the best thing to do. And then suddenly, there you go, top eight at the end of the year. Fly under the radar, yeah. and also the way this podcast has fallen. The the next game and the the schedule since it was falling on the day of Anzac being this year on a Wednesday, short turnaround. So. A few short hours taking on the uh, last year's Premier's Richmond. So see, that'll be I interesting didn't even, to see. See, how I thought the up. round started on Wednesday, but the w- game on Wednesday was the end of the previous round. It's the, the work differently to rugby league, where it's like Wednesday's the start of Anzac round, round eight, and uh, we saw, of course, St George play the Roosters. They ended up beating them controversially with a try decision, and then, of course. Um, uh, Storm decimating the Warriors too, which was a good game to watch as well in the evening. So we had some great footy to watch. Um, and yeah, hopefully we get a good race this evening as well to cap up what's been a good week for sport. Yeah, and I guess as well, the the quirks of the scheduling. Our, we thought it was going to be the 11 o'clock start for the first time, but that comes in a fortnight at Spain. So we get the traditional 10 or 10, 10 p.m. Lights out for us Australians, and then it will move to the more US-friendly times thereafter. So we'll see how that one goes, but there's a lot of intrigue as ever, and uh, based on the last couple of seasons, there's sure to be some major talking points next week. Yeah, exactly, and we look forward to being back to our normal time as well next week for the podcast and um, wrapping up what should be another great race, hopefully this evening. So thanks for joining us on this uh, late notice, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Till then.